Good morning. My name is Blake Godsey. Uh, I'm uh, one of the college fellows here. I've been at Anderson the last couple years, um, and then this coming year I'm going to be at our Creekside campus, so I'm really excited about that. I've been at Anderson the last five years as a student and a fellow, so it's going to be really weird being somewhere else on a Sunday morning uh, than Anderson College. Um, I'm married to Caitlin, uh, who is also a fellow here the last couple years. Other than that, the only two things you need to know about me, I'd say, are probably that I like short walks on the beach because my legs get tired. I don't really want to go that long. Um, and I don't lift weights because they're really heavy. I don't know if y'all have ever noticed that about weights, but they're really heavy. So I don't lift those. That's, I mean, that's probably all you need to know about me. So I just wanted to start off this morning by telling y'all a story about when I was in third grade, the glory years. So I don't know if any of y'all know what like accelerated reader is, but basically you used to read books um, and then you would take these tests and based on how you did on the test, you would get a certain number of AR points. And then at the end of the year, you have this party um, where you get to go spend all your AR points and you get to use them on things like candy. Uh, I think there were like things like hall passes. Um, we had a uniform, so there was like wear a t-shirt, ooh, uh, you know, pass or whatever. And then they had like little toys, footballs, things like that. So me and my best friend Dave, we were looking around and we were just like, we're going for the candy. Like we're getting as much candy as we can get. So we go, we get the sour punch straws, we get the Skittles, we get the Snickers, we got the M&Ms, we got all the good stuff. We're loaded up. He read a ton and he had like 400 AR points. I had like 60. So he was uh, contributing much heavier than I was. But we had other friends who also didn't have as many AR points and they saw this stash of candy and they're like, hey, like, can I have some of your candy? And so we thought of a great scheme. We were like, yeah, you can have some of our candy, but you have to pay us, like, real money for it. So we, like, created a menu um, with, like, okay, Sour Punch Straws, $1.50, like, Snickers, a dollar, things like that. And we went around to our friends, and we were like, hey, you want to buy some candy from us? So by the end of the day, we'd had it, we had at least, like, $10 in hand, and we had another $10. They were like, man, I'll get you the money. I promise I'll get you the money. Um, so we had, like, made, like, $20. We were like, this is amazing. And so I'm not sure if, like, a teacher saw us, like, exchanging money with students or if we, like, asked them, like, hey, you want in on this or something like that. But somebody found out, and they were like, yeah, give them their money back. You're not doing that. And we're like, what? No. So they totally squashed our entrepreneurial spirit. But, you know, it was totally illegal. So I guess uh, I understand. But uh, <laughs> so why bring that up? Well, today we're actually going to talk about investment. Um, we're not going to talk about investment in some... Uh, small-time, candy-based, accelerated reader-funded investment. But we're going to talk about investment nonetheless. Um, So a good example uh, from this is actually Solomon. So you may know Solomon. Uh, He was the third king of Israel. Um, He was David's son, son of David and Bathsheba. He was the one who had been chosen to succeed David on the throne. So he lived, honestly, when we look in 1 Kings, so we're going to be looking a lot through 1 Kings uh, all over the place, Um, But when you look through the beginning of 1 Kings, you actually see that Solomon was a really good guy. Um, Solomon was somebody that people looked up to, somebody that lived a really admirable life. The first thing he did um, is he, like, eliminated David's enemies. So on his deathbed, David's like, please kill my enemies. And then, you know, he goes off into the sunset or whatever. Um, But he, like, told him. That was one of his last wishes, like, don't let these guys get away. They did evil to me. They did evil to our country. So don't let him get away. There was this one guy, I promised I wouldn't kill him, but I didn't say you wouldn't kill him. So basically, this is kind of his mission. And he does it. He succeeds. Um, He kills those guys. And we may be thinking, you know, like, 
that doesn't sound that good. Like, he went and killed these guys. He was, like, really vengeful. And, yeah, that's true. But I think it's kind of a more of a, like, don't hate the player, hate the game kind of situation, you know? Like, I think as best he knew how, he was doing good. And at that time, I guess it was really honorable or whatever. So he was in all good intentions killing these guys. Um, so it also says, though, specifically, like, he loved the Lord, and he walked in the statues of his father David. So, like, I think that's probably the best, like, description you could get at that time, especially right after David, to say he walked in the statutes of his father David. David was a man after God's own heart, and they were comparing the way that he walked with the Lord to the way David walked with the Lord. So that was about as good as it gets. Um, you may remember the story where um, God comes to Solomon, and he tells him, like, hey, you can ask for anything, and I'll, I'll give it to you. And Solomon thinks about it, and he says, you know what? You've got such a great people. I'm the king. I want to be able to rule them with justice. So can I please have wisdom so I can rule these people your people in the best way. And God loved that answer. He loved it. So um, I used to plan when I was a kid, I was like, when God comes to ask me what I want, I'm going to say that too, so I can also get the other things that Solomon got. Um, but yeah, so God was so happy with what he, he answered that he actually gave him all the things he said he could have asked for. So he tells Solomon, you could have asked for riches, um, death to your enemies, you could have asked for a long life. And since you didn't ask me for those things, but you asked for something good. I'm actually going to give you those things as well. Um, so he also had a, just a really good heart for the Lord. Um, his reign was really peaceful. Um, David's reign had been very violent, a lot of war, things like that. Um, but Solomon had a very peaceful reign, and his kingdom was blessed. So when the kingdom's blessed, that's usually a reflection on how the king is leading the people. Um, the king is following the Lord. The king's doing what he's supposed to the kingdom's blessed. They live in peace. Uh, unfortunately, not many of Israel's kings did follow the Lord, so they experienced a lot of time of hardship. But for Solomon's part in the beginning of his reign, he was living right, and his kingdom was blessed as a result. Um, and then he was known throughout the world for his wisdom. People were coming from all over the place like to hear his wisdom. It was an awesome opportunity for people to get in contact with the people of God and to see like how the people of the one true God lived. Um, he was a good example um, to other nations. So he lived a good life. He invested in what matters. That's what, one thing that we're going to be talking about a lot today is investing in what matters. And that's what Solomon was doing. He was investing in what mattered. However, there were just a couple things in his life that were some, maybe some little um, minor scrapes and bruises, you know, just a, a, a little thing to consider. Um, and one of those was he married a foreign wife, and he had a huge interest in foreign culture. So today, we've kind of got like the cult of travel. You know, it's, it's uh, a virtue if you've been to a lot of places almost, if you know a lot about other cultures. Um, it's virtuous almost. Well, in this time, uh, though he did have a good ex- uh, chance to be an example to other nations, uh, Israel was the only nation that was following the Lord. They're the only ones who believed in the one true God. So this huge influence and influx of knowledge from other nations actually could have like a harmful effect on Israel. Um, and also, he married a foreign wife, which they weren't really supposed to marry foreign wives. Um, it was mainly a restriction against marrying the Canaanites, um, but, uh, and this, his first wife was Egyptian. So it's kind of like, uh, maybe not the best choice, but not like maybe a direct disobedience. So that was the first one. Uh, and the other one is that um, when he did sacrifice the Lord, he sacrificed on these uh, spots called the high places. So... The high places were places where uh, the Canaanites would worship their gods, and they would sacrifice to their gods. And so when Israel came in, 
Um, they had, uh, they didn't have like a permanent temple at this point. So it was kind of like people would worship on the high places, but they would worship God. They weren't really supposed to worship on the high places, but they did, but they were worshiping God. So that's kind of where Solomon was. It was another kind of like a little bit of a gray area. He's worshiping the right God. He's not really doing it in the right place, but, um, overall, you know, he's, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Um, and I think that this can really describe where sometimes we are in our lives. Um, maybe this was you in high school. Maybe this is how you feel like your life is now. Um, but we'll, we'll, we can be in these places where the majority of the things we're doing, uh, the way we're living our life is honoring to the Lord. Um, we're doing good things. We're investing in things that matter. We are investing in community. We're investing in our relationship with the Lord personally. We're reaching out to others. And yet we have these small, seemingly insignificant, maybe we just want them to be insignificant, but we have these things in our lives that uh, sin has grabbed a foothold in our heart. And we're not quite willing maybe to give that up. Um, So for example, it might be uh, related to drinking. Um, Maybe you're underage, um, but you still will drink, uh, even though it's against the law. Maybe you are of age, but um, you drink too much, maybe every once in a while, maybe regularly. And you kind of think, you know, I'm in college. I know it's not good to do, but I'm just trying to have a good time. When I graduate, like, I'll move on past that, no big deal. Um, Or maybe, you know, it's related to your schoolwork. Um, Maybe you care too much about your schoolwork, and it's like the preeminent. It's number one. Like, it's number one in your heart. It's number one with your time. Like, everything that you want to accomplish is in your schoolwork, and that's, that comes before all else. Or maybe you're on the opposite end of that spectrum, and you don't really care much at all about your schoolwork. Um, it's kind of like, ah, oh, let's get my degree and get out of here. Um, I don't really care that much if God's honored by the way that I work um, at school. Um, and with either of those, maybe you feel like, oh, yeah, when I graduate, I get a job, I'll meet somewhere in the middle. You know, I, I won't work as hard once I have a job. I'll feel more secure. I'll spend more time investing in family, community, in my relationship with the Lord. Or you think, oh, I'll start to work harder you know, when I have a job, when, I have, when I'm making money, um, things like that. You may have that kind of attitude. Um, or you may be uh, putting a lot of hope in the, somewhere in the future like marriage. Um, marriage is uh, something that I think a lot of us think is a problem solver, um, that we have these issues and that when we get married, they'll be solved. So we're just waiting until we're married to get rid of, you know, the, the lust, the insecurity, uh, the loneliness, uh, the anxiety. We're thinking, oh, once I have, you know, a companion, those aren't things that I'll have to worry about. Um, but the thing that we have to remember with sin that we have, that has a, a little bit of tug on our heart is that we have an enemy in the, in the world, um, and it's Satan. Um, and that he is not looking for us to make it to a new stage and escape all the temptations that he's put before us, right? So he's not thinking, oh yeah, well, if that person gets a job, I won't be able to affect the way they work anymore. Uh, If that person gets married, I'm not going to be able to give them feelings of loneliness anymore. And that's just not true. Uh, In fact, I think Satan is wanting to work in those weaknesses, that sin, that... uh, those hang-ups in our lives. I think he wants to work through those throughout our entire lives. I think he wants us to look forward to each next benchmark and think we'll get over it um, just because we're getting to a new life stage, when in reality, he's hoping to work that throughout our lives. So when we're not fully putting that at the Lord's feet, when we're not fully bringing that to the Lord, if we're not fully 
willing to give up those footholds that are in our lives, we can see them come up throughout our lives. And before we know it, a long time has passed, and that's still something that's in our lives. Um, We don't really see Satan mentioned that many times by name in the Old Testament, but I think it's really clear just in the history of Israel, the history of humanity, really, that Satan has been at work much longer than we've been around. Um, You think about uh, Israel. Um, Just the nation of Israel is a great example of how Satan's at work. Um, They leave Egypt, right? They're in slavery. God makes all these miracles happen, you know, to get them out. Then he uh, opens up the Red Sea for them to cross. And what do they do when they get to the other side? They say, ah, it was better off. We were better off in Egypt. We were better off when we were slaves. At least we knew we had food. At least we knew where we were going to be. And you can see how Satan's working in their community just to doubt God, to believe that God doesn't have their best interest. Um, You see in the period of Judges, um, we went over Judges a a couple semesters ago here in in this class, and uh, you see how there's just this cycle that goes on throughout the book of Judges. The people are doing fine, but then they start to worship idols. And then somebody comes and they take them over. And then once they're being taken over, they cry out to God and they say, help, we're sorry, we didn't mean it. So God sends them a deliverer, a judge, defeats the enemies, and then they turn back to the Lord. But then you see it again, and you see it again, and you see it again. And it happens over and over throughout Judges. And even through the history of Israel with a king, you see how um, they were so easily tempted to uh, put their hope in the king. Like the, the king was the one who was going to deliver them, not the Lord. Um, how they were so quick to turn to idols from other nations, how they were so quick to put their hope anywhere else but in the Lord who had brought them there and had established them. Um, but so Satan, Satan is at work, um, and he has been throughout history, and he is currently now in our lives. Um, and when you, uh, when you think about Satan working in our lives, we sometimes like to give Satan a lot of credit and say, like, oh, yeah, you know, Satan was really tempting me, so uh, that's why I did that. Or, oh, the temptation from Satan was too strong. I, I couldn't withhold it. But we have to remember that a result of the fall is also that we are born with a nature that is inclined towards sin. Just like it seems like the Israelites are constantly inclined towards sin, toward leaving God. We're, we're the same way, and that's because of the fall. We were born with an inclination to sin. So we can't even just think like, oh, if we just fix the Satan problem, sin is just going to suddenly evaporate from my life. Like, no, it's, it's a part of who we are. It's an unfortunate part. We have a, somewhat of a dual, uh, a dual existence, even for uh, us who believe in Christ as our Savior. We still have that sin nature that's part of us. And when you stack up Solomon's life, as I think we're also prone to do, we're prone to stack up our lives, good versus bad. All right, so you see in the green, that's all his good stuff. You could put even more stuff in there. Like, and not only is it more items, but I think they're even, I would say we think they're probably more significant. Like, followed, loved the Lord and walked in the statues of David, that's that's about as good as it gets. Whereas sacrificed on the high places, uh, maybe not so, so big a deal. Like the ones in the red column are not only less in number, but also less in magnitude. Um, they don't seem as serious, and they don't seem as bad as the other things seem good. But what we're going to see as we move on um, in Solomon's story, that it's actually the red category, the bad things that Solomon had in his life, the footholds, that he had in his life are actually going to be the ones that go on to influence him and ultimately define him as a person uh, moving forward in his life. 
So 1 Kings 11, that's kind of where um, things start to go wrong. So there's a lot of description of what the temple is like before that, and then more good stuff that Solomon did before that. Um, But in 1 Kings 11, we kind of see what's happened with Solomon's life. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So, um, I mean, it's pretty black and white there, right? Like, uh, you don't need an exegetical sermon to figure out what's going on in this situation. That's the fun thing about narrative. A lot of times, narratives tell you exactly what's happening. So there's no observation, interpretation, application. Like, it's right there. He had these foreign wives. They turned his heart away from God, and they turned him toward idols. So as Solomon got along in his years, he's now worshiping idols. And so I, my first thought was, like, oh, if only, like, he'd known what was going to happen. Maybe he would have chosen differently. Maybe if somebody just told him, like, if you marry all these foreign women, you're, you're going to start worshiping idols. If somebody told him that, maybe he would have done something different. So I, I noticed there was a, a quote in verse 2, and so I investigated it, and sure enough, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. Okay, so he knew. He knew. Somebody had told him. It was in the law. This is bread and butter. Like, this is, this is Deuteronomy. This is the law. He is an Israelite. This is something that they know. This is something that, especially for the king, this is something that he knows. Um, and it's not something that is a new idea for him. He knows this is the result of marrying these wives. So... Now we've got this situation where these small, seemingly insignificant things have come to be what, and now the writer of 1 Kings 11, that's now how he's defined. And it says he doesn't follow the law like his father David had. So now it's totally reversed. Um, And so what seemed to be just small footholds in his life have now become something that is all-consuming for his life. It's definitive. It defines who he is. It's honestly, sin in, in this example, you can tell that sin is, is like a cancer. Uh, my mom and my grandmother were both diagnosed with cancer in the last year, uh, and I praise God that they were able to um, catch that early. They were able to diagnose it early, that they were able to get good treatment and have a great prognosis. Um, and I'm sure many of you in this room have been affected personally by cancer in some way, whether it was Uh, for yourself or a family member. But the thing about cancer is that if you don't get rid of all of it, it comes back. And it continues its destructive path. It continues to destroy healthy cells. It continues to mutate. It continues to grow if you don't get rid of all of it. And sin is like a, a cancer. But sin is like a cancer that eats away the healthy cells of our souls. It doesn't just destroy the body. It destroys our soul in a way. And 
I don't want you to get me wrong. This is not uh, a way to talk to you about how your sin is affecting your salvation and you aren't saved because there's sin in your life. That's not at all where we're going. We are saved by grace through faith. And because it's grace, it's a gift and it's a free gift. We did nothing to earn it. So if we did nothing to earn it, we're not doing anything to lose it. Our sin can't touch our eternal salvation if we've believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior and for the forgiveness of our sins. But what it can affect is how we, in how we live throughout our lives, the effect we have throughout our lives, and it can also affect our eternity in a way. One day we're all going to stand in front of Christ, and we're going to give an account of how we lived our lives. We're going to give an account of how we used that free gift. And we're going to be accountable for the sin in our lives. We're going to be accountable for the way that we lived. So there, while there's nothing that our sin can do to touch our salvation, it can affect our life here on earth and therefore our account that we give one day to the Lord. And at this point in Solomon's life, nobody... Nobody's talking about how he used to love the Lord. Nobody's talking about how he used to be so wise. He, he gave such just ruling. Nobody was talking about how he was so, so great at sacrificing to the Lord, had such a pure heart. No, at this point they were saying, yeah, our, our King Solomon, he kind of let this foreign culture invade our country through the women that he married. Um, he lets his wives set up idols to all their gods. He lets them do whatever they want. And worst of all, he himself worships those idols. That's how the people there understood Solomon. That's what he was doing. That's what defined him at this point. And even, even more so, he also lost uh, his kingdom. Solomon lost his kingdom to this guy. He looks really scared, I think. Maybe he should be, I don't know. But Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he's actually really famous. Um, so Solomon passes on his kingdom to Rehoboam, his son. Um, and Rehoboam, um, he ends up leading the southern tribes, Judah. And then the northern tribes, which are called Israel um, going forward, um, follow this guy, Jeroboam. So the rest of uh, kings and and throughout Chronicles, um, the kings of Israel are defined by this guy right here. So he um, was the one who continued to lead people into idolatry. And so whenever it describes a bad king of Israel, it says they did not walk according to David, but they walked according to the evil of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. That's how all the kings of Israel, there wasn't a single righteous king in all of the northern tribes. There were a couple good ones in Judah, but none in the northern tribes. And it says they all followed after Jeroboam, son of Nebat. So for us, that begs the question, like we are one day going to have a way that people remember us. We're going to have a way that we are defined. And a lot of that is going ha- to do with how we live our lives. So I just ask you, how do you, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want people to think of you whenever, you know, you've moved on from, whether you move cities, move jobs, whatever it is, how do you want the people who knew you to remember you? Do you want them to say things like, oh yeah, I remember so-and-so 
used to really follow the Lord a lot, but now I, I don't think she really does. Or do you want them to say, oh, yeah, so-and-so used to be such a, a great example of love, uh, but now I, I feel like they're just really bitter. Um, they don't really care that much about other people anymore. Or do you want people to say, you know, they used to just care so much about investing in eternal things, but now I, I think they've kind of just got caught up in the rat race of life. Like we don't, we don't nobody wants anybody to, to be remembered that way. Um, but the reality of our lives is that we are, especially at such a young age with, for most of us, so much life ahead of us, that we are going to be defined much more by what we're doing now and what we'll do in the future than what we've done in the past. And that's, that's actually a really good thing and a bad thing. So the good part of that is that we're not defined by the sin that has in, had enslaved us before Christ. So if we have believed in Jesus Christ for the redemption of our sins, we believed in him as our savior, we believe that he can take away all that sin, we are no longer bound to the sin that we lived in before. We're free of that. There's no, it can't hold us down. The, the power of sin in our lives can't conquer us anymore. Where before we were slaves to sin, now we are slaves to Christ. And that's a good, that's a, he says, take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's a good to be a slave of Christ. But the bad thing about the fact that we won't be remembered for what we've already done is that we have an obligation to live our lives going forward in a continually righteous way. We can't say, oh yeah, I used to follow the Lord for a while. So um, since I've followed the Lord for four years in college, I think I'm good for the rest of my life. Like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Every choice we make will influence our eternity. It'll influence uh, our present. It will influence the way that people see us and the way that people look at us. So I'd also ask you just to think, not only how do you want people to think of you, but think about what are the footholds in your life. So we saw Solomon's. He was really interested in foreign women, foreign culture. He worshiped God, but kind of in the place that people worshiped idols. So what are the footholds in your life? What's the thing that while you may be following the Lord, really you may go and be going hard after the Lord, wanting to seek his heart, wanting to love his people. But what is it that you're allowing to continue to live on in your life, continue to affect your life, continue to affect your soul? And I I also ask, have you thought about what the end of those things are, what the consequences are? Because while eternally, in terms of our guilt or not guilt before the Lord, those things are taken care of. They're behind us. We're forgiven. We're forgiven of our sin. But Sin has consequences in the real world. It's going to affect your life in some way. And I'd ask you, have you thought about how that sin's going to affect you, whether it's today, tomorrow, 10 years from now? I was in a small group one time where a a guy passed around this packet of paper, um, and on it was just a ton of writing. And what it was is um, he'd given us this packet um, that had been written by a pastor um, and he wrote down what all the consequences would be if he had an affair. Um, so he had several categories as well. He talked about how it would affect um, his job, how it would affect him personally, how it would affect his relationship with the Lord, how it would affect his family, how specifically it would affect his wife and his kids. He wrote down how it would affect his friends, his coworkers, the people that he wanted to have a witness to, so he wrote, wrote down several, several things in each of those categories 
of what the, the damage that would be done if he had an affair um, in the position that he was in. And by the end of it, it was hundreds of reasons. It was hundreds of consequences that would result from one act. And I think we'd all agree like that's a pretty significant act. But we have to also realize that however insignificant we think our sin is, that it does have consequences. So we've talked a lot about, okay, sin in our life. What can we do about sin in our life? There's a sin in our life. So what are we supposed to go after then? So we're not supposed to go after sin. We're not supposed to be enslaved to sin. We're not supposed to let sin fester in our lives. So what are we supposed to do then? That's the important thing, right? You can't just be told not to do something. You need something to go toward. So um, Solomon's life actually has a really cool conclusion. Um, And it concludes um, somewhat through the book of Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, and it was basically a commentary on his life and all the mistakes that he made so that his son wouldn't make the same mistakes. That's pretty much the whole gist of Ecclesiastes. So by looking at that, by looking at his life through 1 Kings, I think we'll be able to um, find a lot of good things that we can move toward. So number one, this is kind of going back to his life in 1 Kings, but we got to get rid of the footholds. We have to battle the sin that is taking root in our hearts. Okay, so how do we battle sin that's taking root in our hearts? Roots are serious. Roots keep something planted. It keeps it nourished. So what do we do? How do we battle that sin? So in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, he being God. That's an awesome promise. We confess our sin to the Lord. He will forgive us and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. That's, that's amazing. That's an awesome gift. And it seems sometimes strange to us to think, oh, I should confess my sin to the Lord. I should tell him what I did. Because he knows, right? We know that he knows. We know he's all-knowing. We know he's all-powerful. He knows what we've done. And yet here we see we're, we're told we should confess our sins to the Lord. So since we're told that we should do that, and we're told that if we do that, that he's going to forgive us and that we'll be purified, we should do it. We should confess our sin to the Lord. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. So yet again, we're encouraged to confess this time to somebody who's your brother or sister in Christ. Tell them like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Can you pray for me? Can you keep me accountable? Can you help walk through this with me? We are given community for a reason. We are given a community so we could lean on one another, not so we could keep each other at arm's length and say, no, don't get in my life. You don't need to know the mess that's in here. We don't need to all be arm's length from each other, not living life together because the, the power of sin in us is too strong for us to just think we can power through it on our own. So we're told, confess to a brother. And it says, so you may be healed. So we're going to be purified. We're going to be healed through confession. So confession is really, really very important. And then also prayer. Like that's the, that's the right Jesus answer, right? You're supposed to pray about stuff. You know, we pray. So put it before the Lord. I think the only reason that we allow sin to gain a stronghold and a foothold in our life is when we're unwilling to ask for help. So whether that be confession or just asking the Lord, please help me battle through this. Help me work through this temptation. In the Lord's prayer, Jesus prays, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
He asked God, don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Jesus himself is asking these things. So we should too. The Lord's Prayer is a model for us. We should ask God, please, Lord, keep me from temptation. Please, Lord, deliver me from choosing evil. Temptation in itself is not sin, but choosing to give in to temptation, that's what sin is. So we need to be battling it at both fronts, putting it before the Lord, saying, I don't have any power over this, but I know you do because you've told me you do. Trusting that promise, trusting that he does have power over our sin. And next, so these are some examples from Ecclesiastes, some specific wisdoms from Solomon. Um, he says, don't just seek after pleasure. Uh, he talks about in this uh, passage, he talks about how every pleasure was before him and he took every single thing he could. He went for whatever he wanted. If he saw something and he wanted it, he went for it. I mean, he's got 700 wives, right? I think that's pretty clear. So he sees something before him. He said he took it and he never kept anything from himself. And here's how he describes it. He says it was as striving after the wind. I don't know if you've ever tried to catch wind, but you're gonna have a bad time. So if we're striving after the wind, then what are we doing? You know, you're not gonna catch wind. He says, that's what it was. It's like chasing wind. There's, there's no satisfaction in it. There's no fulfillment in it. Don't seek after pleasure. There's no fulfillment in pleasure. So when something we say, I deserve this, I, I need this, I want this, but we know it's wrong. There's no, there's no uh, satiation in that. There's no fulfillment in that. You'll never be full. You'll never be tired of it. You'll never get enough. He also says, don't seek after wealth and possessions. Um, college is a time where we have little wealth and few possessions. Um, you move out and you're like, yep, there's my one box and that's about it. So um, you're at Gumby's every Tuesday because you figure two pizza rolls will get you at least through the night and it only costs like $1.50. So don't seek after wealth and possessions. So a lot of us, after we do leave college, we'll be tired of being poor and we'll, uh, we'll want uh, to seek after wealth. We'll say, yeah, I want the job with the most money. I don't care if it's what I want to do. I don't care if it's where I want to be. I want the most money because we're tired. You know, we're tired of living dollar to dollar. But he's saying, don't seek after wealth and possessions. He describes it as when a poor man and a rich man go to sleep after their long day of toil, they both sleep well. But actually the rich man, his belly is too full, so he actually has trouble sleeping. So that's kind of like a little joke he makes there. He's like, the, the things that are weighing down the wealthy man, his, all his many possessions, his many cares that come with having many possessions and a lot of wealth actually keeps him from sleeping well. But he says, if the poor man, if you do a good day's work, you're going to sleep well. So if you do the best that you can do in everything, then you're going to sleep well. You're going to have a fulfilling life, even if you don't have many possessions. Invest in doing your best in everything, doing everything for the glory of the Lord. And then he also tells uh, his son, spend your life in community. He talks about two people. If two brothers walk and one stumbles, the other is there to help lift him up. We've touched on this already in accountability, but living your life in community is really important. Having people who can be there for you is really important. Being there to also be there for others, not only have people be there for you, but to be there for others. That's important. And at the end of this one, he has a really uh, kind of famous verse. He says, a threefold cord is not easily broken. So threefold cord is not easily broken. When you include yourself, community of believers, and God himself, don't forget that one, that's a cord not easily broken. That's, that's something strong. It can withstand Spend your life community. Seek after good community. That doesn't mean you shouldn't spend any time with people who aren't good community, who aren't strong believers, 
We should be investing in that. But we need to have a base. We need to have a core group of people who are pouring into our lives, who are supporting us, who know about the things in our lives, who are walking through life with us. And so toward the end, he says, um, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's another good one. That's another one where it just spells it out for you. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear not being, I'm scared, but fear is I'm reverent toward. I respect, I honor. Honor the Lord, keep his commandments. That's our, that's our duty. Our, our job on this earth is to glorify God so that other people can know who he is. So we glorify God through our actions. We glorify God through how we live our lives. We glorify God by talking about him, by sharing what he's done with other people. We glorify God through that. Fear God and keep his commandments. And then this one's, I think, a little surprising, but I, I put it at the end for a reason. I think it's really important. Enjoy your life. You've probably heard the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry. That's actually in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that, but it's in the Bible. He says several times throughout Ecclesiastes, enjoy your life. Eat and drink and enjoy your life. He, God wants us to enjoy our lives. He didn't give us these lives so that we could toil. In fact, Solomon says, don't spend your life toiling. It's a striving after the wind. If you spend all your, all your life just toiling and never enjoying anything, chasing wind. Enjoy your life. God hasn't given us all these reasons to not sin so that we can just have a smaller sandbox. You know, he's given us these, these guidelines so that we can live an enjoyable life. Living a life with God is enjoyable. Living a life in righteousness is enjoyable. And that doesn't mean hardships won't come because hardships will come and they're usually not based on what we've done. We get hardships because the world is broken. But we have to find the joy in life and we get to enjoy an eternity with God forever if we've believed in Jesus. And that, that's worth enjoying this time for because we, we're going to enjoy the rest of eternity. So why, why not start now? We should start now. And in fact, when I was looking through Deuteronomy 7 where it talks about... Um, Solomon and his wives and why he shouldn't have married foreign wives. I read on, because sometimes, I don't know if you ever do this, but when you're in the like, law, like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, sometimes you can like, find something that you're like, oh yeah, that sounds really cool. And then you like, read farther down and you're like, that's really weird. Like, don't let your goat go into the pen or else you'll be thrown in jail. And you're like, what? Why? Why can't that goat go in there? Goats go everywhere. They'll eat the wire. But there's, so there's weird things like that. So honestly, I was looking for something kind of weird and funny. But I actually found something that was really like deep and meaningful. Um, so it's, uh, <laughs> I know in the Bible, right? Um, but it's in Deuteronomy. It's uh, chapter seven, same chapter, just a couple verses later after the, the prohibition against the foreign wives. And uh, it says this, verse six through nine. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the people's who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from a house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And therefore know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Uh, and that's, you know, specifically a promise to the people of Israel, but I mean, it's littered with all the things that also describe us. Redeemed from a house of slavery. We are chosen by God and we weren't chosen for any 
reason. We weren't bringing anything to the table, but he chose us just out of, his, out of the, the purity of his love for us. And we were redeemed from that house of slavery so that we could enjoy a life with him. And so as the band comes up and to do a little bit more worship, I just encourage you, think about what the Lord's done in your life. Think about what he can do in your life. Believe in what he's already done so that you can believe in what he's going to do to help you get rid of those footholds so you can instead invest in what matters, investing in community, investing in your relationship with the Lord, investing in all those good things that are worth going after that aren't striving after the win. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy that just washes over us day by day. And we just thank you so much that the, the guilt that we carry is not um, in control over us anymore. In your eyes, we're not guilty. And we just praise you so much for the gift of salvation that's through Christ. And I just pray for any here who haven't gotten to taste that, that great gift of salvation that you offer. Lord, I pray for any, any here who's burdened down by the guilt of sin and wants help and wants to know how they can escape it, how they can remove it from their lives. Lord, I just pray that you give them the resources that they need and also just give them the knowledge that you have given your son and that's all that's required. And God, we just praise you um, just over and over again for the life that you've given us here and the life that you're going to give us after this.